When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, I'm Keith Arthur and welcome to the Strange Boat Podcast. My shipmate today I've known for quite a while. In fact, it could even be longer than I know about. I'll try and find that out in a minute. He's a superb match angler who's clever enough to have a job with one of the world's greatest tackle manufacturers. He really hit the headlines a short while ago by pocketing a call £60,000. Oh yes, that's sixty grand by becoming the latest winner of the Maver match this event. He's a flipping nice bloke too. Welcome aboard, Simon Fry. Nice to be here, Keith. Thanks for having me along. Oh, you're welcome, mate. It, it's, it's always lovely chatting to you. And as, as, as I've said quite often to, to several of my guests, and I think you might be the 20th or 21st in the line, um, I don't get to see people as much as I used to. And I miss the, 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 the natural angling discourse um, that we have, we've had over the years. Yeah, I mean, I think last time I saw you would have been at one of the, um, the big shows, which obviously we, we didn't have any last year, I think probably the year before I can't remember now but uh, no 2019 2020 you were both yeah done. that would be the last time that we you know had a proper natter together exactly yeah in fact the the first lockdown came in just before the 2019 big one was supposed to take place and right up to almost the weekend before it was still likely to be on and then I said oh no no we're not going to do it which was just as well because we'd have probably come away with a lot more cases than we actually uh, than we actually got into yeah um first of all um congratulations on match this it's the latest in a long catalogue of success uh, but as our mutual mate mark thorpe was such a regular customer of mine at acton angling center in the 1980s did a much younger simon fry also buy the best bait in london uh, well keith actually i think that i first sort of met you yeah, i mean obviously mark thought dave as i knew him because dave we, we as i knew him too he was dave we, too we were at school yeah. together and he was dave and um Paul, Paula, my missus, still calls him Mark, and I call him Dave, and she'll say to me, have you spoke to Mark lately? I said, yeah, I was on the phone to Dave yesterday, or whatever it happens to be. And she, yeah. can, she, she talks Mark, I, I talk Dave, so he was always Dave to me. We were, you know, fantastic mates at school. I think we were probably the only two in our class that fished, so naturally we became, you know, really, really good friends. Used to spend all our holidays together fishing, and I reckon you, did you used to have a shop in Ladywell? Lady Van Lewisham, yeah, I was I was there from yeah from about from the late nineteen seventies to eighty four, and then I went from there to Acton in in May eighty four. Well, there you go, mate. It's pre Acton then because I used to come into Ladywell Angling, I think. Or blimey, your, yeah, Ladywell shop in Ladywell. Yeah, uh, we were kids when we came in. Yeah. And I'm sure we used to loiter about and used to you, you get away, you two. You know, used to give us the old uh, sort of heave ho, and I, th- I think we used to probably pester you and hang around for hours, probably longer than we want, we should have done. But uh, yeah, so I reckon I've known you since then. Uh, you no, know, I mean, what, it's a long, long time ago. There, I mean, I'm, couple, you know, I'm sort of late-ish fifties now, and I'm going back to when really? I would be probably twelve, thirteen years old. Thanks again for reminding me of my mortality. Um, It's amazing you say that because on Tidefest just a couple of weeks ago, I drew next to Steve Edwards 
And Steve Edwards told exactly the same story that you've just told. He didn't mention I threw him out. He said, but he said, I put up with him and his, I think it was his brother who's into carp fishing uh, for much longer than I had any right to. And and uh, he, he said he picked up, if not a lot of education about fishing, a lot of jargon. <laughs> and probably learnt a few new words as well. I think, you know, as probably 12, 13-year-olds in that mm. shop, we, we probably heard things we shouldn't be hearing at that age, but... Uh, it was all good fun. <laughs> yeah, all about gozzers and wagglers and things. Yeah, all of that but, stuff. But, yeah, but they, they were great, the formative years in tackle shops, and, and it's much more difficult um, to find a tackle shop these days, never mind find one that you're welcoming for a few hours, because now, you know, tackle shops have got a business to run, and it's much more difficult to run a tackle shop um, these days mm. than it well, was. Well, there aren't so many in, either, are there? No, no, no. Back, back in those days, Keith, when we used to see you, I'm sure there were three or f- maybe even four shops in Lewisham. Oh, there were. Yeah, there was... Um, I think there were two or three in the same road. Literally. Well, the road along to mine, there was Kens of Lone Pit Vale, and there was a Rodden Line, Jeff Bucknell's shop, and they, they were almost, they weren't quite next door to each other, not far apart. There was Dells of Nunhead around the corner. Penjangling wasn't far. You know, there, there were, there were sh- Downham Tackle wasn't far. There were loads and loads of tackle shops in those days. And I think Downham Tackle may still exist because I think Tony Mayers, who you may remember from those days. I well, think I know he's Tony got, very well, yeah. Yeah, Lee, Lee Angling, isn't it? I think that's, uh, that's Tony's shop. Gonzo, as we used to call it. London Angling now. Oh, oh, he's he's taken the name, is it? Because Lady Well Tackle was when I went there. Lady Well Tackle, and we turned it into South London Angling. So he's uh, he's having he, a throwback. He's, he's now, I think his now is South London Angling. Um, oh. You know, I, I used to fish with his tackle shop team years ago, yeah. which was uh, Lewisham Tackle at the time. Yeah. So yeah. that was my sort of first venture into team fishing. Uh, whenever that, was. I can't even remember. It was a long time ago. He was a good lad. So, so you've been into match fishing then for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I say Dave, Mark, and I in the school holidays, we occasionally used to fish. I, I remember fishing matches around um, the the Lee, sort of Broxbourne, that area. Yeah. Uh, Lady Capels at Watford when we were teenagers, and yeah. um, you know, we didn't have poles. We used to fish with rods against people like. You know the Vincents with their poles, and obviously, you know, we never used to do much good. Um, <clears throat> and a big one for us always used to be the Dartford Open. Oh, uh, which yeah, was a, it's a huge. And that actually, I remember, was uh, Dave's kind of first break in match fishing because he drew on one of the points on the Dartford Open, caught I think he caught a couple of seven pound bream. Mm. You know, as a teenager, won a section, and um, <clears throat> I mean, didn't he end up? He ended up fishing with you and Darren Davies and other people in. I can't remember. Was it two seven nine or? Well, there was, there was a couple of couple of clubs we were involved with. I, I think in, with uh, with Raven certainly, um, and and Raven, yeah, yeah. Uh, on the bits on the canal near the shop in Acton, we used to fish a lot of matches there. And uh, I, can't, I can't remember which team it was, but I know we went. I know we went once to practice together for a big team event. We had one coming up. Uh, that was with Terrapins. That was with Terrapins because it was at Gretham on the River Arran. Um, and I'd not been to Gretham. I'd fished Berry Ferry quite a bit, and I'd fished Swan Meadows Pulborough a bit, but I'd never fished Gretham. So we went there to practice. Great story, this. And, and um, stick float job. It's tidal. Fished the tide going out. Had a lovely net of fish. I had, I don't know, 25 pound of roach and a, and a couple of bream. And um, we went down to see what he'd caught. And he had a nice net of fish as well. And we put his fish back. And then he pegged his keep net on the bank to dry, and that was, that was, they were those very heavy. Do you remember a company called House & Co used to do netting? They used to bring nets across from, from abroad they had made. A bloke called Colin Martin was their rep for me. And these nets weighed a tonne. And it, anyway, he stretched his net on the bank of the River Arran uh, to dry Came up to see what I'd caught side more um, because I, I probably had a better peg and I was more experienced at stick float fishing. You know, he, he was still learning river fishing, really that kind of stick float fishing, which was a bit different in that kind of speed of water. And um, we put my fish back, and as we were admiring them swimming away, his net was walking along the bank, huh. and and we ran up, and there was a mink trying to drag it off. I mean, no fish in it, but it obviously smelt a fish. If it smells a fish, as we both know, it's likely to be fish. And, and um, he, he was Either that or he was the most stupid mink on the bank. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, yeah. Let's take the net without any fishing. Yeah, and he was dragging it down the bank. But then on the match at the weekend, um, my dear mate, late 
lamented friend Tommy Young, drew the M peg, which was next to a, a thicket of trees, which was the end of the boundary. And he'd caught two bream on the feeder. And he had them in his net and he had these mink trying to get into the net to get his bream out. So it, probably the same the same itinerant um, muscalid uh, w- w- was having a go. So you, you got into your match fishing. Who, who were you fishing for at the time back then? I didn't fish for anyone, Keith. We used to just, um, Dave and I used to just sort of travel around, normally on buses. I mean, that tell you how much kit yeah. we used to take. I mean, I lived in south-east London. Yeah. Uh, Dave lived over near um, Listen Grove, in, yeah. uh, over that way, right on the um, Regent's Canal. Mm. And I used to go and stay with him in the summer holidays. We used to fish the Regent's Canal. And we, you know, we fished some matches on there. But we were just a couple of kids turning up fishing matches because... We thought, you know, I mean, it was exciting. And, you know, I've got some fantastic memories thinking back to those days. But we we didn't fish for anyone at all. We were just on our own. And I say the first time he got noticed was on the the Dartford Open um, when he had that that crack. I remember talking of the Dartford Open, going down on the bus to watch, you know, we heard like Ray Mumford was fishing. (laughs) And we, you know, in those days, you you know, the sort of, these guys were heroes, you know, and you used to travel down on the bus to go and watch them. And I can remember a crowd of, oh, crikey, it must have been, you know, 100, 100 people sat behind Ray Mumford fishing the Waggler mm-hmm. on, uh, on the Dartford Open. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every time he had a roach, it was applauded. And I think he weighed, you know, 20-odd pound of roach. Fantastic days fishing. Yeah. Um, and what people failed to realise, but I think either side of him had like 30 and 40 pound of bream. <laughs> sort of first and second in the match but everyone was there to see Ray Mumford he was the one that got all the plaudits he got all the pl- the applause and you know we, we didn't even notice the guys either side catching these big weights of bream down there so that was Ray he'd have six or seven pound of bleak on a match local to I, I live um, I live sort of Richmond way and, and, and he'd have six or seven pound of bleak in a match at Canberra Gardens and, and either side would be twelve pound fourteen pound of roach and, and he'd say well I should have beaten them because I've had lots more fish anyone can catch those roach you know we're fishing the big floats down the middle well down as far as we could catapult our, our, our casters and emp and Ray would be there with his, his little continental pole with a crook on the end catching these bleak sort of two foot down under the surface but that was Ray Ray was Ray was a one of a kind and and uh, and, and a gentleman as well I mean I've still got although I, I could show you but nobody else could see it I've got one of his stick floats that he gave me here um, that he used to make he didn't used to make them as much as change them he'd buy a float and use the body and stick something else in the bottom for the stem and he'd put a little tiny eye on it and put a little tiny eye on the top and then paint it with his famous three coloured top and uh, he gave me one because for I don't know goodness knows how many months I used to take his bait home for him and one week he went hey oh, mate yeah oh, have that I said oh that's nice of you Ray thanks very much and um yeah, that was all I ever got from him. <laughs> and I supplied him with a fair bit of blood work and stuff over the years. But he was, he was a good, he was a lovely bloke, Ray. Just, he was sadly strange um, in his approach. And, and he finished up quite ill with Alzheimer's and, and, you know, didn't have a very nice end. But that's, you know, that's, that's, that's a different story. But he was a great character. He so, was miles ahead in his day, wasn't he, as well? Um, yeah, but he, he was... Um, but as I knew him so well, and I fished with him so often on, on these local stretches of the Thames, he was very far ahead in his day, but his day didn't last very long because things overtook him. You know, when you, you, it's hard to recall because, because you're, I mean, you're considerably younger than me, and when you think that the Thames changed radically in the mid-1970s from bleak not counting... Mm. So Ray was wasting his time catching him because it was size limits to bleak counting. And when Ray became a hero and caught loads of bleak, but then that only lasted for three or four years before the roach numbers and the dace numbers came up. And I mean, Ray, he was, he was good at catching roach and dace, don't get me wrong, but he loved catching bleak. Uh, and once you got down where I'm, where I'm pointing now out my window to the tidal, and the tidal times where I live... You could fish in those days with a pole all day long and you couldn't live with someone fishing a stick float. Not the same now because it's flowing at the moment because we've had some rain. But when it's not flowing, you know, you could use a six-metre whip, but raised six-metre pole would have weighed four-and-a-half tonne compared to today's. I suppose it's a little bit like that uh, Dartford Lake story, Dartford Open story. You know, he's quite yeah. happy. He wants to fish the waggler. He doesn't that's want right. to fish tip for bream, but he's, you know, he's never going to win the match doing it, but that's what he wanted to no, do. That's and he, exactly you know, he was good at doing right. it. 
And the thing is, and I always said this about Ryan, this isn't knocking him in the in the slightest, because I've got so much respect for the bloke, you, you, you can't believe. But when it went for Ray, he would win because he was best at doing what he did. And, and there were people, you know, I think of, of, of the years of Fishgold Valley, and there were some people there that would win two or three matches a year when it came right for their style. And, and when their style worked on the peg they drew, they would win. And it was great because it kept them going, kept them going. And they were very good at what they did. And Ray was very, very, very good at what he did, um, which was catching not necessarily huge weights of bleak. In fact, I've just written a bit for Angling Times about, about bleak weights. You know, and, and if Ray caught double figures of bleak, he'd be cartwheeling down the bank. And then you've got Hadrian Whittlewain in 2,100 bleak for £70 in a pleasure day, filmed for Angling Times. And, 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 and £70, you know, I can't imagine £70 of dace. And I, I'm quite good at catching quite a lot of dace. But £70 of them is a blooming lot. It, it's it's mind-blowing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So what got you into the fishing tackle business? What were you uh, doing before pre-Garbolino? Well, I, I worked in the cosmetics industry for, for many years. Uh, when, I, when I left school, I got a job as a, a rep, actually, with Max Factor, cosmetic company. Oh, yeah. And, and I was selling uh, cosmetics, makeup, fragrance to people like Boots, Debenhams, independent chemists. And um, I worked with a guy called Terry Hale. He was my boss at Max Factor. And Terry, years later, went on to... Uh, he had a management buy-in to Leader Fishing Tackle Company. Oh, yeah. And with David Adams and Mike England, the three of them bought Leader. <clears throat> and um, about that time, Terry was looking for someone to manage his national accounts. And I was like a national account manager by this stage, looking after Debenhams, Boots, and all these, these big shops for, uh, for another cosmetic company by then. Um, <clears throat> at that time, Terry, I think I was on the front cover of Angling Times. I had a huge weight of um, bream at Oldbury Hill. You know the old days when we used to uh, uh, trout fish during the close season? Yes, I did. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I must confess I did. I just wanted my <laughs> fix. <laughs> I went ground bait feeder fishing for trout with worms <clears throat> and, and caught, caught a huge weight of fish. David Devere came around with his camera. Um, you remember, obviously, David... Who oh, Goldberry Hill, and um, yeah. Yeah. that picture ended up on the front cover of Angling Times. Terry Hale, meanwhile, was was looking, through, you know, in his office at Leader, and he said, "Bloody hell, I used to know that bloke. I used to work for me. God, and he, he tracked me down anyway." And um, and the rest, as they say, is history. He, he yeah. made me a fantastic offer. I moved from uh, London to Stratford upon Avon. They were based in Redditch, uh, so I moved up there. Been there, oh, I don't know, twenty twenty three years now in Stratford and yeah um, yeah, so that's how I got into it it was just by chance really that must have been fairly soon after Leader became Leader from the East Anglian Rock Company Julian Pardo days yeah it was well I mean that's where I met Darren who's obviously a great mate Darren Cox who's a great mate of mine now he he came across to Leader from Tackle Sales uh, and they had the Garbolino brand and others and uh you know, back then, I'm, so I'm going back 20, 23 years probably, um, Garbolino as a brand was in all the big, um, uh, they used to deal with all the catalogue companies like yeah, Freeman's yeah. and uh, Littlewoods and, and all that. And that's what I was responsible for when I first joined, looking after mm. all those big companies. You know, we used to do fishing tackle to Argos, all the sets and kits and all that kind of stuff. Not much loved by a lot of retailers back then, but, you know, it was a, it was a good in for me getting in at that time. Well, that, that's one of the problems I've always had with the tackle trade. It's it's too um, incestuous. That they they don't want people where customers are likely to go selling fishing tackle. You know, if 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 I was if I I, I was when I worked for Dyers, you know, I worked for them for five years as a rep, and I was continuously onto the sales manager saying, you know, we should be going in selling an exclusive range to Marks and Spencers. We should be selling an exclusive range to Tesco because that's the only way we're going to grow fishing we're not going to grow it by south london angling or acton angling center or or, or ladywell tackle or any of those because and, and until to still to an extent these days if if women who are the most likely to take their kids fishing rather than dads because um dad will be going fishing on his own or doing his own thing and mum will be the the, the the youngster's driver most women go into a tackle shop feel absolutely intimidated certainly in the old 
school. I was going to say certainly back then. No, 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 not not angling direct and those kind of places. But there is still quite a lot of the old school tackle shops left. And 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 in fact, lovely Emma Harris, Emma Harrison, who's, who's been Emma, Emma Jenks now. She's been married since she was on here. Um, she said how intimidated she felt going into a tackle shop as a, as a, a female match anger now. So you know they they do still exist and it still is off putting. But and and to to keep us out of of, of places. <clears throat> where most people go to shop has never made sense to me. But anyway, that, that's a different story. And and again, going back to the Lady World Tackle days, I remember my first my first long pole was a maver, but we won't talk about that because it it came and I think it was it was eleven meters, and there were I think twelve pieces to make it eleven meters, and it was almost tree trunk. You couldn't possibly hold it at 11 metres with one hand because your hand wouldn't wrap round it. It was it was um, put in rather than put over as well. It was a massive great thing. But my first proper long pole was the Garbo Turbo. Right. Back about 83, I suppose. And, and that weighed a tonne as well. But it was 12 and a half metres and you could just about fish it at 12 and a half metres. And I won a lot of money and no no short number of matches with that and then another one came out I can't remember but Kevin Kevin Ashurst it, this is when Sundridge was selling Garbolino uh, they, they were agents for Garbolino and he demonstrated it by walking along it it was so strong it wasn't very heavy but it was very strong but that, yeah that's that's the mid 80s that was amazing days so but now then then Garbolino went independent didn't they yeah I mean Garbolino was leader for a number of years and mm. um yeah, about I think about nineteen twenty years ago, um, went independent. Uh, Darren left to take left leader. We we obviously worked at leader together, mm. and uh, myself and Ian Stanley, uh, who was also at leader, went with him to sort of manage the sales side of it for him as agents. You know, we're, we're self employed agents. Mm. Um, Ian does the north, and I've done the south, and we've been doing it together with Darren for the last it must be nineteen nearly twenty years. That's incredible. It flies by, mate, I tell you. Yeah, it does. I've got to say, I can't imagine working for people much nicer than than Darren Cox. He is, and I'm sure he's a a bit of a taskmaster under quiet, but I should imagine he does it very nicely. He's he's more likely to whip you with a velvet rope than a a studied belt, isn't he? I mean, we we all work pretty well together, you know, and it's, uh, as I say, myself and Ian are agents anyway. And it's it's a slightly different relationship when you're you know self-employed agents as opposed mm. to being an employed uh, rep, as it were. But but mm. nonetheless, you know we uh, you know that's we do other things as well as Garbolino and Cert. Um, but that's still the vast majority of what we do. So it's uh, yeah. but no, it's worked well. It's worked really well. We we all get on really well, which massively helps, obviously. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. You know we're we're all best of friends. It's it, it works really well. And fish together. Yeah, Darren and I fished uh, together all the time. I mean, we travel together. We, um, you know, we go on holidays together. We sort of joke, really, that we, we probably have more meals out with each other in the space of a year than we, we've had with our wives over the, the entire time we've known them. Because we're, <laughs> we, we not, not for the last couple of years, but we go away to France to see Garbolino. You're out every yeah. night for a meal, every lunchtime for a meal. We go on festivals two, three, four times a year sometimes. Uh, you're out every night for a meal and, and you work all those out over the space of you know we've been out for meals in a year as probably more times than we've been out with the wives you know over the last 10 years it's uh, it's uh, quite funny but yeah no obviously you have to get on well to be yeah, in that sort yeah. of situation and we do we fish together you know we're best mates and you know, yeah. best of mates and there's no doubt about that. Um, now, although um, you, you won match this, that's far from your first victory and far from your first appearance in a big money match, isn't it? No, I've, I've worked it out, Keith. I've, I've been in lots of big money finals. If we talk big money finals, let's say five figures and above. So, you know, like River Fests, 12 grand, Feeder Masters, Feeder Kings, uh, Park D Masters. I've been in... Couple of Fishermanias, couple of Maven match this is, couple of Riverfest finals, uh, and it, um, Golden Rods, Feeder Masters, Feeder King, the latest one. I've uh, been in two of those as well now. They're all sort of 10 grand plus. So I reckon I've been in about 16 now over the years. Which tells us one of three things, doesn't it? One, you may go fishing too much. <laughs> Probably. Two, you draw better than to lose the trek. Or three, and the most likely, you're a bloody good angler. 
I mean, listen, we all have our share of pegs. I think you know, good and bad. I've had I've had runs, extended runs, uh, you know, where I've not done any good, not picked up. Uh, but equally, I've been very lucky to get into all these finals. I've been lucky in the early days. Well, not the early days, but the early two thousands. I fished with Starlets. Um, you know, we had a f- fantastic team at Starlets, and you know, we've won. When I was with them, we won um, three, I think, Winter League finals, three Division One nationals. I've been lucky enough to win the Division One national individually as well. Um, <clears throat> and that's still, I mean, people say to me, oh, God, the match this must be the biggest thing that's ever happened to you. But as an, an angler of sort of my age, that where there wasn't all these, there weren't all these big money finals when I was growing up. And the biggest thing you could do was the Division One national, without, yeah. <clears throat> without a shadow of a doubt. I've not fished internationally, so as a an angler that sort of fished domestically, I still think the double gold that I won with Starlets won it as a team, and I won it individually in 2005 at Milton Keynes. That's still, and I don't think that'll ever be topped for, for me personally, yeah. um, just because of what it's you know meant over all the years of being around. You know, nationals were the thing, and don't get me wrong, the the match this with the money and the trophy and the the kind of big match buzz, and to finally win. After 16 attempts, one of these huge finals, just fantastic um, experience. Uh, you know, it was quite an emotional experience. I, you know, I look back at the video and saw, um, you know, Paula, my wife, when she she was, uh, you know, in bits when she came over to see me, and she know, you know, she knows how much it meant, meant to me. Um, and even Andy Kinder, you know, when he was interviewing me, I saw he was he was sort of, you know, a little bit emotional as well. And all that it kind of means a lot to me. To, to well, you, 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 you know, mate, I've done I've done more Fishermania finals than, than you've done big finals, but I've not fished in any. I've only been paid to report on them. And it is a very, very emotional thing. When when you know the effort that people have put in to get there, you know the effort that they've put in on the day, and you know how they've had to to suffer the rigours of being on telly because it isn't that easy when you're fishing a match with, I match this is slightly different, fishing when you've got 18 cameras and goodness knows how many reporters and, and Barry are likely to turn up in his helicopter at any minute. It, it's, it is an entirely different bit of fishing and and I get I get emotionally involved with my own fish you know I, I, you know I've, I've been lucky I've won a couple of matches and I've been second in quite a lot more uh, and, and I've caught some very big fish and you know when my first marlin came alongside when I, I, I had a great big thresher shark off New York come alongside I caught a two pound one and a half ounce roach filming for tight lines on Hampshire Avon there was a tear in my eye on each occasion and and you can't help it. It's it, it's a natural thing. It's just it because because we live angling is such an important part of our lives. I suppose that it, it's that that release that we get from everything else we do. And you've worked very hard, and I've tried to work as hard as I can for a long time. Um, it it is when when you when you sort of get there and you're it's being recognised by your peers. I think that's what yeah, does yeah, it. There's a lot of that to it. I think that's what does it when you know the, the, the John Smith, you know Wayne Swins goes clapping you on the back and and that kind of stuff. It means a means a lot. It does really really mean a lot. Um, so just um, just run the match this final through for us, will you? Because it's not an easy match to win. It, it's a difficult match. You've got decisions to make on on what you're going to fish for, on how you're going to catch them, and, and so on. It's not an easy lake. I mean, bizarrely for me, it, it kind of. Of all, in all these finals, I've always put a huge amount of effort into trying to get familiar with the venue, the water, the fishing. And, you know, I was in the Fishermania final in 2019 on that same venue and practised hard for that. I think I was in contention for half the match, yeah. uh, you know, watching the, the feedback back. But, you know, at the end of it, I wasn't anywhere near, but I put a lot of effort in. And to be honest with you, Keith, I've never really, in all these finals, the only time I've ever been near, I was second overall in the Park Dean final I think it was 2005, maybe 2004. Other than that, I never really feel I've had a chance. So <clears throat> the build-up to the match this final this year, um, we had already pre-booked a family holiday <clears throat> down in uh, Cornwall. And uh, so my preparation for this year's final was uh, fishing for bass in the Insto estuary down in Cornwall with my lad Charlie. Um, we caught 17 bass that week, which is the most we've ever caught. And... Uh, we got back the day before the match this final. So my preparation was I didn't even get to the venue, didn't see it, didn't do anything. And a couple of people I spoke to 
said to me, oh, you haven't been up, what's, what's going on? I said, well, I'm, I, you know, I've, I've been in all these finals, I've practiced, you know, really, really hard, never done any good. I said, I'm just going just gonna to turn up this time and see what happens. Me and Darren are going to Ireland, literally, as the final finished, our ferry was booked in Birkenhead that evening. We were going on a, a week-long festival, so I was kind of more, almost more geared up for that. And um, more than one or two people said to me, oh, you're going to bloody win it this year. You know, with that kind of attitude, (laughs) you're bound to. And, you know, I've drawn a peg uh, right in the corner, uh, sort of permanent peg 27. It's not got any form. It's never had any form. I drew it, actually, in a Fishermania qualifier this year. And um, blanked and, well, not blanked, but I I shut back and went early. So I wasn't overexcited. But when I got to the peg, there were quite a lot of fish showing themselves you know, up in the water, and it was, <clears throat> obviously it was going to be a, you know, if I was going to catch it, it was going to be a pellet waggler day, it's quite deep, that part of the lake, as you know, um, mm-hmm. and I pretty much just thrashed a pellet waggler to death for five hours, um, and I I had, uh, I think, two in the first hour, um, the guy to my left, Jack, he had two or three in the first hour, again, looking back at the the commentary because there are no live uh, weigh-ins like you have on Fishermania, mm. so it's all a bit kind of you know he says this and they say this and so and so's got two, so and got so's got three, and you kind of you know you don't know quite what to think. and you, you can't tell the size of fish people are catching over the other side of the lake. But there were four or five of us in contention after that first hour, and then I had another one in about the second hour sometime, and then for the next two and a half hours never had a bite kept thrashing the pellet waggler because there were still fish showing. And I kind of looked around at Darren, who was with me. Darren Cox, my bank runner, was next to me. We were travelling to Ireland together. And I said to him, here we go again, mate. Another letdown final. Bloody, you know, how many how many more is going to be like this? In contention at the start. And literally, I reckon, 50 minutes to go, I've, out of the blue, after not ha- having had a bite for two hours, I've had a bite, missed it, gone back in and caught three and three chucks. So... At this stage, there were, I reckon, six, well, probably five or six people with, you know, five or six carp each. And I had three, so I'd fallen behind. And all of a sudden, with those three and three chucks, I'm back in with the leading pack. Now, you know, there were some with six, some with seven, and it was, Darren said to me, you know, I'll tell you what, mate, you know, one more, you're, you're, you've got a serious chance. Two more, you could do this. And I'm thinking, you know, 20 minutes earlier I was saying come on mate let's get let's get on the slow pack up and get ready to go to Ireland and then you know we got 10 minutes before the end of the match I've had a, a good six pounder um, on the pellet waggler again and then literally two minutes to go I've hooked another one and got that out as well so I've gone from being nowhere pretty much or having been there at the start gone back to, fell back, uh, fallen back to being nowhere in the last 50 minutes I've had five in the last 50 minutes and and then I was first to weigh in. So you imagine there's one set of scales that walk around the whole lake. They weighed me in first. Now, I weighed 23 kilos, which is 51 pounds in old money. And I just thought, that's not going to be enough. You know, and people on the bank were saying, oh, Tom Edwards has got more than that. Tom Edwards is going to beat you. And, um, and so I was pretty chilled out. I just started packing up with, the, you know, Jason Lebosco was there helping me pack up. Darren was helping me pack up. Because the key then was thinking, got to get the ferry. Got to get the ferry to Ireland. And um, <clears throat> and then it was Andy Kinder phoned me and said, "Sight, you're going to have to get round here because there's only two more to weigh in, and you're still leading." And I was bloody hell, can't believe it. And um, and then Tom Edwards weighed in, and when he had, I had 23 kilos, he had 21. Um, Alan Scothorn was still to weigh in, five chi- five times world champion, by the way. Alan Scothorn was was next to weigh in, and he was the only other person that could maybe push me. And he think he weighed 18 kilos. And uh, that realisation then, I mean, say Andy dragged me over there to sort of interview me while they were weighing in, I guess to, you know, get my reaction on, on film. And um, I was still fairly chilled out, even then. I was still fairly chilled out. And, and obviously once it hits you, I just kind of, you know, arms in the air, cheer, just to let the others on who are still on the bank, Darren and uh, Julie's wife and, and Jason they were all on the other side still and it was just to let them know I've actually done it I can't believe it I've actually done it and uh, yeah amazing actually what an amazing feeling to, to and it's still, it, was, it was kind of a surreal time because I suppose with you know not a big weight at all 
I wasn't expecting to win it. Even after the end of the match, I wasn't expecting to win it. Um, because you haven't got these live weigh-ins and you don't know where you are. Uh, so it was kind of in the lap of the gods. But yeah, amazing, amazing feeling to win it. And fair play to the um, the team, the Mave match, this team. They brought the presentation forward early um, because they knew that myself and Darren had to get off to get the ferry. Yeah, so, you know, they, they did old fanfare, did the traditional jump in the lake afterwards and literally got dried up, jumped in the car and we made the ferry. We sort of hot-footed it over to Birkenhead. We made the ferry by half an hour and they brought the presentation forward by about half an hour. So wow. it was it was really touch and go. But an amazing day, amazing week. You know, went over to Ireland, had a, a fantastic... I mean, it's beautiful in Ireland, stunning. I hadn't been for five years. And... Um, didn't do particularly well I had two really really nice days on a couple of poor days but did I care absolutely not at all it was it was just a, an amazing the whole kind of week and experience and just amazing absolutely incredible and so, sorry sorry lads I can't buy you all a drink because the money's not gone in the bank yet but yeah thank you very oh thank you yeah I'll, yeah I'll have a black velvet yeah thank, no 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 what a gin and tonic as well then yeah <laughs> I bet everybody wanted to buy you a drink. They didn't know really. No, mate, it, that, was, it was just an ama- amazing well. experience. You know, yeah. getting literally, we, we we drove off the ferry straight to the draw because the, the match actually started <laughs> on the Sunday. I've never been on a festival that starts on a Sunday. They no. always start Mondays, but this one started on a Sunday. God. So we literally drove from the ferry to the draw, and you know we were we were getting out of the draw, and the, obviously there was just so many people coming over and saying well done, and yeah. I've had that many messages. Uh, yeah, amazing, amazing time. I bet, yeah, fabulous, mate. That's a, that's a lovely story and, and, and well told. And it, and it's, it's. I know that um, that there were a few fish lost at, at Hayfield a bit earlier on in the year, and that's probably why the result was how it was. Um, that they had, they had a bit of a deoxygenation crisis, as so many waters do. They got over it very well. They handled it brilliantly, and um, you know, it, it's it's gradually building back up to speed. But uh, yeah, the, the, the fish have been in sort of unusual places. Um, for, for quite a while, but and, and that's what happens when you get that kind of situation. We've had a similar situation at the Gelks on Fishy Lakes, miles different scale, tiny little scale. But you, you know, you see the fish there, but they don't want to eat. And and then they, in the end, they think, "Oh, I've got to eat. I've got to eat now. I've got to eat." And and that, that's when you catch a few. But that that must be. Did you, uh, um, I, I've only had something reasonably similar to that when when I didn't think I'd win. Um, on the Witch Haven when I had a barbel and a couple of roach at um, downstream of, of, uh, of Evesham Bridge and um, I knew Frank Barlow was on a he had a barbel and a perch and some other fish on the boards so I had to wait right, right from peg 46 I think he was on peg 2 or 3 uh, to find out and, and that was do you know that's the only match I've ever I ever regret winning because it was the last time I saw Frank it was when he was really ill, and you know he was he was speaking in tongues almost. He, he was he we, we, he wasn't Frank Barlow of, of, of eighteen months, two years before, and uh, I, I I just hoped I, they said his barbel isn't very big. I said, well, yeah, but he's got a perch, and you know he'll probably have a couple more tench or something as well because that's what it's like up on the boards. And uh, the only the only big match I've ever won that I wish I hadn't have, and, and uh, as long as he he I think he finished up third, but I'd like him to have won it, which is you know, but that's that's how you go. Um, What's your favourite type of fishing? Because all the matches you're talking about, Riverfest, that's going to be normal fishing, natural, our, my kind of normal fishing, that's going to be natural fishing. Match this is going to be as far apart from that as you can get. That's almost like shark fishing compared to bleak fishing. Yeah. fishing I mean, what I've, I've been doing this year, Keith, is, is um, my, my favourite fishing at the moment, and I do go through phases, to be honest with you, but at the moment, it has been for a few years, uh, is the big reservoir kind of feeder, skimmer, roach scene, uh, you know, bream, that kind of thing is what I've really got into the last few, well not got into, I've always been into it, you know, when I lived down in South East London, Bow Beach was one of my local venues, and you know, it's always been one of my favourite venues, if not my favourite venue of all time, and I love, I love the, you know, when you, this is part of the reason I love Ireland so much, because it's the, that sort of big, wild, expansive water, you're just glad to be alive, you know, you're sitting there looking at the views, and it's it's awe inspiring, and that's my favourite sort of fishing is being sat on a platform in a reservoir, 
fishing like in you know on Lockern near around Enniskillen for big hybrids and roach and or fishing like Staunton Harold I love Staunton Harold um, up in Derbyshire that's a you know an amazing natural venue and I'd say if if I had to pick one sort of fishing to do for the rest of my life that would be it and funny enough this year <clears throat> pretty much all I've been doing is is that you know feeder masters qualifiers and that kind of fishing and I fished very, very few commercial fishery carp type matches this year, um, and you know, going back to that match, this that's one of the only. Obviously, the qualifier was I qualified at the Glebe, and the only reason I got the qualifier ticket that was a last minute thing because John Harvey uh, qualified for Fishermania. He was in the Fishermania final, and I sort of bumped into him, and he said, oh, "You know, I said, well done, John. Brilliant news. Good luck at Fishermania." He said, "Oh, the only trouble is, bud, I've got this." Uh, Glebe ticket I'll have to get rid of and I said to him oh, well, I haven't got anything on that weekend I'll, I'll have it off you so um, you know I had his uh, Maven match this qualifier ticket for the Glebe um, funny enough actually I'd been feeder fishing for probably six weeks and not caught a right lot you know I'd been one of, one of, through one of these fairly uh, lean spells and at the Glebe they'd been catching loads and loads of Kieran Rich and uh, Tom Edwards and other people have been catching loads of fish on Caster Shallow on the pole. So I thought, do you know what, I fancy a change. I've been feeding fishing for six weeks, not been catching a lot. I'll, um, I bought a gallon of casters, got all my shallow rigs out, got my pole polished, you know, all sheened up so I could slide it through my hands quickly. And um, got to the Glebe, and Roy Marlowe's drawn me peg 100 on Paul 7. And he said, oh, it's the best feeder, com- uh, feeder peg on the complex. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. You know, another, another feed. So I've got this gallon of casters, all my shallow rigs. And I caught him a fish on one feeder rod all day. Yeah. And obviously won that, got into the final, and obviously won the final. So, And they're pretty much two of the only cart matches I've fished yeah. this year. Uh, Did Roy relieve you of your casters? Because he doesn't mind an old caster. I know he, he used to keep, he used to go around after the matches and collect them all, put them in the back of his old Volvo that had various forms of wildlife of its own. It was his own ecosystem, that old Volvo of his. And then get them out of the Volvo the next weekend for the match. He never put them in a fridge or anything. They'd be rancid. Oh, that's what they like, he used to say. They like them. They get them mature a bit. That's what, so they, they you wouldn't ever, have gone have, have done that with casters, though? I've had sort of fresh casters and old casters. And you, if you chuck them on the floor behind you, the little the little birds come up and they peck away. And they don't care which ones they eat. They eat the no. little Exactly right. And, and you know, if, if we're foolish enough to think that everything a fish eats in its life is completely fresh, then uh, then we need looking at. But it's our own confidence, isn't it? And you know what I'm like with casters. You came into South London Angling. You knew what I was. I spent more time doing, yeah, I spent more time doing casters than anything. That was that was my job. And, and before that, when I worked in, in, in George's in Hackney, we were some weeks doing six, seven, eight hundred pints of casters a week because um, we wholesaled them as well. But we had a, a whole team. We had, we had three girls down in the basement doing casters four days a week a, a lady would like to do them on my own but then you know the, the first week of the season the, the rye two day festival and the other one in September I'd need 250 pints for those because they all come out the woodwork when it's a big match you know Ken's, Ken's casters ain't very good can you do me a couple of points I'll, I'll get them off rod and lime when I'm out on the club matches but for a big match I'd rather have yours so yeah that, that, I, I, yes mate I know, I know about casters but as you say um, fish will eat what they'll eat you know when the bloke I work for in in, in North London the, the eponymous George from George's Tackle we, we used to spend ages and develop all manners of te- all manner of techniques to take the skins out of the casters and what George did the old he wet used board, to ta- sloping wet board did you exactly that? corrugated the corrugated um plastic that you use for greenhouse roofs that kind of stuff and and, and George used to take the last run on a Saturday night because they were freshest but he'd never ever skin them he said I'll throw them in they eat what they want and what they don't want they leave and that was it. And, and, and there's probably a lot to that so you look at fish yeah. feeding though they, they pick up everything don't they all the little pebbles yeah. and gravel and yep. you know rubbish and bit. It, it kind of goes in and comes out and yep. what they want to keep in they'll keep in but they pick it all up and once exactly. they've picked it up as an angler you've got them haven't you Oh, once it's on a hook, yeah. Once once they pick the hook up, the way modern rigs are and everything. And but you you're talking about feeder fishing, and like I'm no great fan of feeder fishing because I've not fished the modern feeder style since we went in the world championship. And having taught the world how to fish the feeder, 
we then went in the World Feeder Championships and learned how to fish the feeder because we learned off everybody else who we taught 25 years ago because our feeder fishing never really developed, did it? We developed method feeders, flatbed method feeders, banjo feeders, Okie Koki 2000 feeders. But what we didn't do was develop any styles for fishing them. We, you know, oh, I fished at 75 turns. Yeah, okay. But that's, how do you know it's 75? But now you've got measuring rods and it's, it's this number of twists. And the whole thing has changed and it's become possibly the most technical part oh, of fishing now. I mean, the, la- Be- the last few years have just seen an absolute revolution in feeder fishing. Mm. And, you know, we've got some amazing feeder anglers. You know, look, you, look, you look at, you know, the ringers. And, I mean, all, all of the, uh, you know, the, the current England team. and uh, But the feeder master circuit now is, uh, you know, it, it's very, very competitive. I fish in, you were talking about Frank, I fish in, um, Frank Barlath fish in um, a feeder master super league team with uh, Dean, his, his son, yes. who's, uh, who's our skipper. In that, and obviously the current England team manager, yeah, and uh, it is ever so technical now. Feed of fish, yeah, yeah. And I don't think people necessarily give it the credit that it, it deserves for you know the technicality of it. Um, yeah, I, I must admit, I do, and also I don't know if I'm just because I'm getting older. It's you know rather than having to make up top five rigs and stick float rigs and bolo rigs it's a lot easier to prepare for yeah. you know on, on occasions my, my preparation involves being in a tackle shop seeing a little spool of ready tied hook lengths and thinking that'll do, do me do. that's my prep done <laughs> yeah. for the weekend yeah that's true and there is an element of that you know that's that, that's absolutely fair enough. You know, once you've got the designer, your feeder, you're going to use. You know, and and, and ground bait mixes. That's obviously another another something else we've learnt from from Europe in particular is ground bait mixes. You know, you can go into into a tackle shop and buy 27 bags of ground bait, and they'll all be ground pellets. But it isn't quite like that for um for nat- for natural fisheries. And and when you look at the the the, the this particularly the French and Belgians because they're closest to us. Their ground baits, the effectiveness of their ground baits, to a certain extent the Italians, but the Italians are, tend to be for, slightly different with different types of ingredients. And they will tell you all these natural ingredients, none of them, there's no pellets, no ground stuff. Natural ingredients, they'll tell you why they're there and what they do specifically. I remember many years ago, my pal Billy Allen came back from um, fishing for the London Anglers Association against Rhineland. And he came back with this German bait recipe ground bait recipe and there were several things in it I couldn't get but I got what I could get took it down to the Thames at Laylam put 12 of these great big babies heads in and caught a roach every single cast until I had to pack up because my wife needed to go to the loo and she won't use public toilets so I had to pack up and come home um, luckily Laylam's only 45 minutes away but um, yeah and, and these things really worked and one of the things in that was linseed whole linseed not ground linseed just whole linseeds and uh, you may or may not know, but, but my wife was very, very seriously ill five years ago, and um, she had a, a cardiac arrest and, and resulted in a hypoxic brain injury, and, and is not the same person now. But um, she had lots of um, digestive problems, and the nutritionist came to see me, and she said, "Keith, do you think you could get her to eat some linseed?" I said, "Why? Oh." the best thing you can have it's the best natural um fiber for getting stuff through your body that you and i i thought back instantly 40 over 40 years to when bill came back with this blooming recipe from rhineland that included linseed and it it, right. it, it, it yeah it's so oh, oh, weird things like that one, one thing a little bit controversial now do you think that when we find Venues like Bow Beach, like um, Southfield, like Tamar Lakes. Do you think we bash them up too much? I think the thing is you're fishing for, you, you think about the fish you're fishing for, you know, roach, skimmers and so on. They're, you know, in big, wild, open waters. They're probably not used to having that amount of hammer like a commercial fishery stock would have. They've got to eat, a commercial fishery have got to eat your bait because there's not enough of anything else for them to eat. But those fishing in Tamar Lake and, and, and Bow Beach, you, you, could, you could be half a mile from the nearest fish. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, obviously some of the venues are huge. They do, uh, you know, there's an argument to say that they do possibly, you know, the, the fishing will decline over a period of season if, if it, they are being hammered. But it's a difficult one because the demands there, you know, the anglers want to be yeah. on there. And, uh, 
Um, you know, they are very, very popular. There's certainly been a resurgence in the last few years of, uh, you know, wanting to fish on this sort of a venue. Um, so, yeah, difficult to say, really. And I'm, I'm not banging a drum here, but that's the reason why I didn't go trout fishing in the closed season with feeders and worms. That's, you know, because I, I think that everything deserves that little rest, even if it's just a break from us chucking bait at them. I, I, I just think that's good. Um, just go back to the tackle bit now. You know, we've had a massive resurgence in angling, um, I shouldn't really say thanks to the COVID pandemic because I shouldn't really thank it for anything. But due to the COVID pandemic, there's been lots of people revisit fishing, lots of new people started fishing. And then we had the um, the evergreen and other disasters short of um, lorry drivers, etc. Uh, the tackle supply has been dire. Is, is that coming back to something like normality yet? Um, it, there's still a lot of weight on a lot of things. Uh, you know, I'm in and out of shops every day, and there is definitely a, you know, high level of frustration at the uh, the lack of certain stock in the trade. Um, you know, the demand was created back in sort of, uh, you know, spring 2020, and we're now over. You know, we're 18 months ahead of that now. But of course, the, uh, you know, the supply chain issues we've had. You know, from my point of view, in earlier in the year we had Brexit issues, which were. You know, obviously, most of what I'm bringing in is from France. French-based company, yeah. You know, during January, February, March, it was very, very difficult to get anything in at all. Um, you know, with the uncertainty over, you know, Brexit regulations and customs and duty and all the rest of it. Um, and, yeah, there's, there's definitely... It still hasn't caught up, I don't think, you know. And also, it's not just the... Uh, that you talk about the evergreen, it's not just shipping. Um, shipping costs have soared just hugely over the last couple of years, and that is going to see big price increases, I think, next year in the trade. You know, this is the traditional time when all the new catalogues are coming out, price lists, and, uh, you know, there are going to be some big hikes. But that's not just fishing tackle. That's across, uh, you know, a plethora of different areas. Um but yeah, the, you know, the, the, a lot of it is down also to, you know, a lot of the Chinese factories use uh, Korean labour, for example, and a lot of the Koreans haven't been allowed back into the factories, uh, so they haven't got the same staffing levels to be able to produce the stuff in the first place. And it's kind of a knock-on effect of all of these things. Sounds bonkers. With a country with the population of China, they have to bring Co- Koreans in to put rings on rods and and, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. It sounds it sounds <laughs> completely daft. And we think, you know, well, what's the difference between here? We, you know, we need Eastern Europeans to pick our strawberries. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a uh, you know, I, it's not as bad as it was. I don't think. But it is is certainly far from uh, being, uh, you know, where it should be. Something else I've, I've, I've always talked to people about within the tackle trade. I've, I've, as you know, we've mentioned I've worked in the tackle trade. Before that, I worked in the furniture business. I sold furniture. And um, it was noticeable that every year you had a thirty nine ninety nine bed. And it stayed at thirty nine ninety nine. It just got worse. Now, what we've seen in fishing tackle is I, I can walk into my nearest tackle shop, which is Ron's in East Sheen. I can go in there tomorrow and I can buy a rod and a reel for 100 quid. And they will be better than a rod and a reel I could have bought for 100 quid 20 years ago. And they would be better than a rod and a reel I could have bought for the equipment. I mean, when, when I was selling rods in, in, in the mid-1970s, before the Normark Carbon came out. The Bruce and Walker Flyer was best part of 40 quid. The Abu 506 was 20 quid. The Mitchell Match was 22 quid or whatever it was. And if I sold one of those rods and one of those reels, if I sold three each of those, I'd paid my wages for the week. There's not many rods and reels you sell now uh, to every day where you'd get three, you would pay your staff's wages for a week. There isn't at all. But the only thing is with... You know, if I look back when I started, you know, the best rod you could get now or back then would probably be one of the worst rods you could buy now. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the quality is, is just hugely superior these days. You know, yeah. the real budget rods now, God, I'd have killed for when I was younger. Absolutely. You know, so, so the, the most entry level of all rods now would, be, would have been like something, you, oh, you know, all the best anglers would have been using back in the day. Do you know, get hooks on fishing lovely um, Paul Devlin at Glasgow Angling Centre gave us a number of rods and reels and the rods are 10 foot pellet waggler rods two piece 10 foot pellet waggler rods they're brilliant 
I've used them on little rivers. I've used them pellet waggler fishing. I've used them catching dace shallow. They are fantastic rods. They're 25 quid. Yeah, that's amazing. They've got screw reel fittings, line guides. When I was in Ladywell, I was I started Fuji had just bought silicon carbides out, and people were having their Normark NMRBs, the old NMRBs one four fours, the twelve foot Normark match rods, which were the standard if you were in the south in those days. They were having those rerun with silicon carbide guides, and the guides alone cost twenty seven pounds. That's before I'd taken their old ones off and started to whip them on again. Buying the guides as a pack of matchrock guides were £27. Now, I can buy those those guides on a rod for 120 quid. And, and the rod is, you know, Normark, God love them, everybody says they're the best rods ever made. And at the time, they were pretty good. But you compare them to, you know, compare them to a rod of, of 20 years later and, and they're chalk and cheese. And there's not been that much variation. I don't think 20 years has not been, been a huge difference in rod technology. But, you know, the Normarks were the first of their kind and, and they've been superseded now by quite a long way. What, what's your, what's your favourite bit of kit? It doesn't have to be Garbolino, although I know it's going to be. What, 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 what do you feel the... Like, the old um, American Express um, Severiano Ballesteros advert you can't leave home without? What a question. What a question. Well, of course. Um, I mean, I, so I've been into my feeder fishing, and, uh, you know, I've got my uh, sort of quiver of feeder rods that probably are my favourite things at the moment. I'm forever, you know, putting taking reels off and this one and that one. I've got to have a pair of everything, obviously. Yeah. So lovely, Lovely collective noun there, by the way, a quiver of ledger rods. That is a fantastic collective noun. Yeah. Well, I, I've certainly got a quiver. I, I wouldn't even like to think how many I've got, but I've got, you know, two, two of... I've probably got three different 10-foot rods. And this is, again, where we're talking about how feeder fishing's progressed. Ten years ago, I'd have had, you know, a 12-foot rod and a 10-foot rod, and that would have been yep. it for my, for my ledgering, as it were. Um, and now I've probably got, you know, two 10-foot light rods for fishing at places like Tamar, Patsall Park for roach and skimmers. I've got, you know, a couple of 10-foot bomb rods that I'd use for fishing for carp. And then a couple of, you know, 10-foot slightly heavier rods if I'm, you know, someone like Boddington. And uh, so all of a sudden I've got six 10-foot rods. And then I, I forego the 11-foots. I forego the 11-foots. And I've got 12-foot rods. Crikey, I've got a 12-foot light for, again, you know, just, I don't know, 30, 40-metre chucks for roach skimmers. I've got 12-foot mediums. I've got 12-foot distances. 13 foot, it just goes on and on and on. So, but I'd say probably my favourite things at the moment are my essential feeder rods. So, I've got a fantastic quiver of essential feeder rods. Uh, I love using those. Um, you know, so I've, I've, yeah, just loads of different stuff, really. I mean, it's, oh, I don't know, I've, stupid little things like a stopwatch would be one thing I could oh, yeah. be about now. Again, mm. the feeder. You tell you what, someone says to you, how long have you had that out for? And you, you know, you, I'd have said, oh, it's been out there 10 minutes or something. And it's, on the stopwatch, it's like two minutes, 30 seconds. And it's, yeah. so I find that now essential, an essential piece of kit to yeah. actually, you know, regulate my casting. And, you know, particularly if you're not catching very, very quickly. When you're at Tamar catching a fisher chuck, you don't need a stopwatch. Yeah. But if you're somewhere like Southfield, Ferry Meadows, or, you know, where you want to regulate your, your, your cast, like, you know, 10 minute cast, 12 minute, whatever, you do need a stopwatch to be able to do it. Mm. Um, I remember when when um, when I was a smoker going back over thirty years, and some matches would be seven or eight fag matches, and some would be twenty fag matches, but over the same five hours duration. Yeah, t- time your uh, time you cast on a cigarette. How, how tempers fugitive at the time, you know? It, it, it's it's a, a very different thing. I, I quite like it too. I, I'm, I think I wish it had rained more. The, the tackle trays with lids, you know, they've changed my life. Yeah, cracking ones of those. Yeah, they've, they've got just the, changed the, the legless ones that don't need support trays with the, with a hood on, and you yeah. can you know pull the hood. Oh, fantastic! They're the ones. Yeah, they're they're marvellous. They are. They're something that's 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 completely new since I've I was. I mean, I, I haven't been match fishing for a very long time now, but they're new. But I've still, even though I'm not match fishing, I've still bought two. <laughs> I've got a long thin one and a short fat one. So yeah, yeah, they're good. What so what, what's next in the pipeline then? Have you got any more trips? There's a few festivals in Ireland this time of year, and, and of course in Cornwall. Yeah, not no. I mean, the next thing I've got big thing coming up. We uh, Garbolino sponsor a um, what used to be a silverfish festival is now a winter festival because F1s are allowed, 
at Whiteacres. Now, this is the first year I've not been to Whiteacres on a spring or October festival for 20 years. And it's um, it's just the way it's worked out this year with going to Ireland and whatnot. Can't do everything. Um, but really looking forward to that. So, you know, that'll be myself, Darren, and uh, Paul Hoffman. You know Hoffy? I know Hoffy, yeah, I do know Hoffy. I got an email from him today. He'd been pestered with uh, midges in Portugal. He wanted to know uh, he wanted to know if the skin's so soft had improved. <laughs> well, Hoffy's jumping in with us this year. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so that'll be, uh, that'll be interesting. But he does make a good breakfast, Hoffy. So, Does he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he, he looks after me and Darren on, on the breakfast front every day. We have nice cooked breakfast. Well, see, I'm, I'm a muesli man, me. I'm, look at me, fit as a butcher's dog. Where have you gone? <laughs> Where have you gone? What's happened? <laughs> yeah, oh, that's, that's good. And, and, and I mean, I've, again, I've not been to Whiteacres for a very long time. I, I used to go five or six times a year to I would, the, 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 the Tam Brothers, and when they it used to have me down there to. to Mix with the the guests if you like, and and I, I used to, I used to push the Wednesday the Park Dean finals. Yes, been in a few yeah. finals where you've. In fact, I remember once you stood behind me with yep. a, with a Sky TV camera, and I overcast, you know, with my clip into. And he said, oh, "I see Simon Fry's trying to drag the uh, the far bank feature note closer to him." And, like, it don't sound like me, does it? Don't sound like yeah, me it does sound like that was on TV. I didn't get, didn't get much stick for that. So. <laughs> the, the other one is they don't start nesting until November. <laughs> that, that's when people cast up a tree. It automatically comes out. I can't stop it. It's one of those things that's, like, yeah, that's yeah, on auto yeah. I, was, I was desperately hoping the hook length would just snap ever so quickly, but it didn't. And I, I was involved <laughs> oh, in no, a no. tug of war with the tree on the far yeah, bank. And, yeah, they never do. They never do snap, mate, when you want them to. great delight in that, I remember. But... Oh dear! So, so um, what's and, and I, I try and ask this of, of everybody, every every one of my crew members uh, that, that I have on this on the Strange Boat podcast. If if you had thinking back to your life and, and history of match fishing, um, I'm guessing you're one of those anglers as you, you don't qualify for 16 finals in big money matches by being someone that um, doesn't fish to win. So, so you've got to go out and you've got to have in your head what's going to win the match this year's match, this final, an exception, of course, <clears throat> and then work out a plan of how to catch that many fish. Now, I used to go to Ireland and work out how many bream were needed to, to win the match and base my opening feeding strategy on that. So, so if, if you had to give someone a tip who, who probably is, is a decent match angler and is thinking about dipping their toe into the five-figure match water, what, what would be a, a suggestion you'd give them? Well, you've got to look at the sort of qualifying criteria. So, for example, on things like Riverfest, Feeder Masters, Feeder Kings, you're looking to win a 20-peg zone to qualify. There's three 20-peg zones and three people qualify. If you're on a match this, a golden reel, Fishermania, you've got to win a 100-peg match-ish, roughly. But you've got to win the match. So you, you first of all think, well, what am I going to do? If, if you're in a 20-peg a zone in... Uh, you know, on on a, on a venue that you need to win that zone, you've got to do what it ne- you need to do to win that twenty. Pe- so just think of it as being: I'm in a twenty peg match. I've got to win this match. I'd rather blow out trying to win the match than come fifth having a nice day's fishing. Because if you want a nice day's fishing, go pleasure fishing or do some. You know, go, go go and sit on the right peg at the right time and catch a load of fish. That you can do that any time. If you're in a match to try and qualify, try and qualify. Don't sort of think, oh no, you know, I'm, don't try and save face by having, oh, I'm going to have a nice steady day and catch a nice steady weight of fish if it doesn't give you a chance of qualifying. And similarly, if you're on one of the big matches where you've got to win 100, do what you need to do to try and win. And if you blow out, you blow out. You're never going to qualify trying to have a steady day's fishing where you need to have a mega day's fishing to win. So I suppose that's the. Uh, you know the one sort of nugget that I'd offer up, which uh, I think a lot of people probably go down that road anyway. But yeah, think back sixty years ago, and you've just described Ivan Marks, haven't you? <laughs> Ivan was was the angler who fished to win. He, he didn't care if he had a day's fishing or not, as long as he won. That was that was the important thing. That's great advice, mate. Thank you very much. And um, it, 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 it's almost unbelievably we've been nagging on now for about an hour. 
which is which is quite long enough for, for you particularly to endure. Um, I enjoy it, but, but you know you have to suffer listening to me for an hour. So it's, it's been great. great, to great see you, to, well, and you too, mate. It's been wonderful talking to you, and and hopefully um, not. Well, say not long. It's about five months now to the big one, and um, I, I'm hoping you're going to be there. I think I am. Um, they've asked me if I'll take part, so uh, and I've agreed. So. Um, if we're spared, as they say, I will see you, if not before, in March. Congratulations on Match This. Thank you. Uh, congratulations on everything else you've done. I wish you bon chance when you go to uh, to White Acres for the Silverfish. Say hello to Clint and everybody down yeah, there for me you. that you think might know me. So, in other words, anyone with grey hair or none. That's pretty much everyone, um, I think, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'll see you in March, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks, mate. Cheers, Keith. Well, what a pleasure that was hearing from my old pal Simon Fry. As I guessed, I've known him for longer than I thought. I'll be back soon with a different crewmate on The Strange Boat, so don't forget to like, follow and subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss a thing. There's a big back catalogue too with plenty more top angling natter. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening and tight lines. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.